Father God, thanks so much for uh, the great joy and the great privilege that we have of uh, opening your word. Thank you so much for Easter Sunday. Lord, thank you that uh, your son Jesus defeated death. He was uh, raised to life, and because of his uh, sufficient sacrifice, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, we have life. And so we give you thanks this morning. God, as we uh, come to your word now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide. I pray that you would open our eyes, help us to see what you have for us this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts and our affections for you. Lord, I pray that we would be blown away and impressed by Jesus, by what he has done and what he is doing uh, even now. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for loving us. We commit our time to you and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Uh, there is a scene in the Monty Python movie when a group of Jewish men have gathered together and they are lamenting uh, the harshness of Rome. Uh, and they are talking about how, how Rome has done nothing for us over the years. They have uh, only taken from us and from our fathers and from our father's father. And someone else pipes up and says, and from our father's father's fathers and from our father's 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 fathers. And they say, yes, yes, don't belabor the point. And he says, and what have the Romans ever done for us? What have the Romans ever done for us? What have they ever given to us? And there is a brief silence before someone speaks up and says, the aqueduct. And he says, what? And he says, the aqueduct. And they say, well, of course the aqueduct, but what else has Rome ever given to us? And someone says, sanitation. And he says, well, yes, of course, the aqueduct and sanitation. But other than those two things, what have the Romans ever given to us? And someone says, and the roads. And he says, well, of course the roads. The roads go without saying. And then someone else pipes in and says, irrigation, education. Yeah, fair enough, but what else? And someone says, the wine. Don't forget the wine. And they say, well, yes, yes, the wine. But what else has Rome ever done for us? And they say, well, they've given us safety. It's safe to walk in the, sh in the streets now. And the man says, okay, okay, fair enough. But apart from sanitation, medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, fresh water system, and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Someone pipes up and says, they've brought peace. And he says, ah, peace. What have the Romans ever done for us? You ever ask that question, but in a, a different sort of way? Have you ever asked the question, what has the resurrection of Jesus ever done for us? I mean, sure, you've heard the story, right? Maybe you grew up in church and, and you heard the story of Jesus being crucified and buried and raised to life. Maybe you've heard the story your whole life, but you've wondered or you've asked yourself, what, what good is the resurrection? What are the, the right now benefits that the resurrection uh, gives to us? Well, this morning, uh, I want us to ask and answer that question. Uh, what does the resurrection uh, do for us. The Apostle Paul, who uh, wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, was a man who uh, did not uh, love uh, Christ. In fact, he was uh, in conflict with Christ. In fact, he hated 
Christians, God did a miraculous work in his heart and in his life. Though his eyes were opened, uh, he saw the beauty of Jesus and uh, he wrote to the church uh, about the goodness of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he wrote one of the most compelling arguments uh, for the benefits that the resurrection brings uh, to you and to me. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 and verse 12. Uh, Paul is going to uh, lay out an argument that in essence says if the resurrection never took place, then all of these things that you and I hold dear are of little significance. Right? The things that we do as the people of God or the things that we do uh, in, in life to serve God and know God and walk with God are of little consequence if Jesus was not raised. He's going to lay this out for us. He writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed, is raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so Paul's going to make an argument. There's a number of things that we practice as followers of Jesus that don't matter if Christ was not been raised. But the flip side of all of these things are true. If, in fact, Christ has been raised. And uh, just to show you my cards this morning, I believe that he has been raised. And so these things that we read about in 1 Corinthians 15 are true for us as the people of God. Notice the first right now benefit of the resurrection is that there is purpose and power in preaching. Right? The, the, one of the first right now benefits of the resurrection is that there is purpose and power in preaching. Notice verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But Christ has been raised, which means uh, preaching, proclaiming the word of God is meaningful and significant. It's not vain or meaningless. Right? The preaching of the gospel um, goes forth, it goes out, and it changes people's hearts and lives. I say that not to convince myself that the next 30 minutes is of value, but because I actually believe that it is true. Admittedly, uh, sometimes it does not seem like the preaching of God's word is of great value. How many times have uh, you heard the word proclaimed on a Sunday and thought to yourself, that was okay. Maybe there's a saying that you remember or a quote that you can put on Twitter. Maybe there's an illustration that you walk away with. But many times in the Christian life, we hear the word proclaimed, we hear the word preached, and we just think to ourselves, I don't know if it's going to change my life forever. I remember back when I was in seminary, I had an opportunity uh, to sit down with a group of kids one Sunday morning, and we were uh, teaching the Bible lesson to these group of kids. It was a, a small group, probably six or seven kids, and I remember I'm 
I'm like teaching my guts out, right? And all these kids are kind of rustling around, and I can tell they're squirming a little bit, and I'm thinking to myself, this is not good, but I kept pressing through, and, and about 15 minutes into my lesson, this one little boy, seven or eight years old, he raises his hand, and I think to myself, oh, this is good news. Someone is tracking with me. Someone has a question about the things that I'm teaching to them, and he raises his hand, and he says, Mr. James, and I said, yes, and he said, are you done yet? He has never been seen or heard from again. We don't know what happened to that boy. And sometimes it feels like the preaching or the proclaiming of the Word of God is, is kind of like that. It's just an ordinary meal. It's a ham sandwich or a peanut butter and jelly. And you don't walk away a week later or two weeks later or two years later and think to yourself, that changed my life. But I would submit to you that um, because of the resurrection, that the preaching of God's word is full of purpose and power. We read in the word of God that there are times when people preach and proclaim the word of God and people who are far from God are drawn near. People who are spiritually dead are brought to life. Peter preaches at Pentecost and thousands of people uh, come to know the Lord. Right? Paul preaches to Lydia and scripture says of Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention, right? God breathed spiritual life into her heart. She was influential in starting the church at Ephesus. God used her in a significant way, and he did it through the preaching of the word of God. Two weeks ago, when we were here on Sunday morning, it was our first service at Cox Mill, and you may remember that there was also a basketball uh, tournament here, and people were coming and going and walking uh, through the halls. We were outnumbered. Uh, and on Sunday morning for the service, there's a couple people that snuck in and listened to the preaching of the Word of God and to the worship. And when they filled out their connection card, they said, I want to trust Christ. Right? Well, the, the Word is proclaimed, and God uses it. The Word is living and active. And so there's times when you hear the proclamation of the Word, and you think to yourself, does He know something about me that I haven't told anyone? How, how does he know that? How did God know I needed to hear that or be challenged by that or be encouraged by that? Well, that's how God uses his word. He uses it uh, to breathe life into those who are spiritually dry. He also uses the preaching of the word to provide spiritual nourishment uh, to weary souls. Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ. Right? So, so preaching, the proclamation of the word, is like a spiritual meal that we uh, receive. And we're just faithful in receiving the meal. And God uses it to form and shape us. Because Christ has been raised, uh, preaching is powerful. God brings spiritually dead to life through the preaching of the word. God uh, removes hearts of stone uh, with hearts of flesh through the preaching of the word. God gives spiritual sight to the spiritually bl blind through the preaching of the word. God humbles the proud and gives hope to the hopeless through the preaching of uh, the word of God. God displays his glory, his goodness, his majesty through the preaching of the word. God accomplishes his will through the preaching of the word, God ministers to the lonely and gives strength to the weary through the proclamation, the preaching 
of the word. It's one of the reasons at Christ Point that we say we want people to be pointed to Jesus by uh, encountering the life-transforming power of the word of God because we believe this book is not some history book that tells stories or fables that happened long ago. We believe this book is living and active and God still uses it to form and shape hearts and lives. That God uses his word to change us. So uh, Christ Point family, submit yourselves to the preaching of the word of God. Not just here on Sunday morning, but throughout the course of the week when you're riding to work, when you put the kids to bed, tune in to your favorite a pastor or preacher and receive the word and ask God uh, to move and act in a mighty way in your heart. Do it. I promise God will use it. He does it all the time. Not only is preaching powerful and purposeful because of the resurrection, uh, but another right now benefit of the resurrection is meaningful uh, faith. Our faith uh, has purpose and meaning. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians 15 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If you look on to verse 16, it says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But we know Christ has been raised. And so our faith isn't futile. Faith isn't futile. Our faith is purposeful. Our faith uh, has power and significance. Right? Scripture teaches us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Followers of Jesus live lives of faith. Right? We pray in faith. We walk by faith. We're, we're trusting God even when we do not see how he's working or what he is doing. We have faith. And the truthfulness, the reality of the resurrection some 2,000 years ago uh, gives fuel to our faith. It strengthens our faith and steadies our faith. Because how many times in life do we have a crisis of faith? How many times in life where, where you, you step back and you think to yourself, I don't know if this is true or not. I, I don't see how God is moving and acting and our hearts are full of doubt. And so we can look back to the resurrection uh, as, as a way of strengthening our feeble or our fickle faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, uh, not me, another guy, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Right, and so, so Paul is saying this story that you're hearing about or that you're reading about is not just some, some fable that one guy told. Right, he's saying, I, I want you to know, Jesus uh, was resurrected. He came back and he revealed himself to Cephas. And you go, okay, big deal. Cephas, it's just one guy. And he says, no, not, not only Cephas, but Cephas and then to the twelve. And you go, oh, okay, well, that's, 
It's a little stronger testimony than just one guy, but he doesn't stop there. He says, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, you can go ask them. This is not just me. It's not just my story. It's not just one guy or the 12. He appeared to 500 people at the same time, and he doesn't stop there. He says, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, he says, he appeared to me. Our strength is, uh, our faith is strengthened um, when, when we consider and we contemplate the reality of, of the resurrection. This faith that God has given to us is not simply head knowledge. This faith that God has given to us moves us uh, to act. You ever read Hebrews uh, chapter 11 before the great hall of faith? It just lists all of uh, the ways that the people of God moved and acted because of the faith that they possessed. By, by faith, by faith, by faith. Over and over and over again in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith. And so we, you, and me, as followers of Christ, we live lives of faith. By faith, you share the gospel with a friend, even though you are scared to death. By faith, you practice generosity, even when you do not know what the future holds. By faith, you teach your children about God when it seems like they have little to no interest in God. By faith, you love your spouse, even when it seems like they are not returning the favor. By faith, you keep doing the right thing even when you don't see the results. Right? This is a life of faith that God has called us to. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, our faith is strong and sure and compelling. The third thing that we see is the right now reality of the resurrection authenticates the message of the people of God. Right? It authenticates our message. You and me, we, we are God's representatives. If the resurrection did not take place, uh, we are blowing smoke. Right? We are sharing a story that is not true. Right? It's silly to tell people that this actually happened if Jesus did not, uh, was not raised. Right? Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. In other words, if Christ has not been raised, then we are frauds. Those of us who claim Christ, who say that we follow Jesus, we, we are frauds, we are posers, we're pretending to be something that we are not. Right? And if you've ever been tricked before, uh, if you've ever been fooled before, uh, it is not a good feeling. It is not a good feeling. Recently, I heard of a new uh, startup company that seems to be showing some traction. You can get online and order stuff, and they send it to you. It's, it's amazing. They, they do it in like two days. And so you see this picture online, and you find something that you want, and then you order it, and they send it to you. It's beautiful. But every once in a while, you get tricked. Uh, every once in a while, you get bamboozled. Because there's this thing that you thought you were getting that you don't actually get. There is something that you saw and you thought it looked a certain way or it was going to do something and it doesn't look the way you thought it would or it doesn't do the thing that you thought it would do. You feel when that happens like you've been wrong. You've been bamboozled. I came across an instance when this happened recently on this, this company, Amazon, 
uh, and uh, it's about a book called Where is Baby's Belly Button? This is for our kids who are here this morning. Uh, Where is Baby's Belly Button? And then, and then you read the review of someone, of s- you read the review of someone who was bamboozled. Right? They didn't see it coming. They say this book is completely misleading. Right? The entire plot revolves around finding baby's belly button. The title makes this much clearer from the beginning. However, there is no mystery. There is no twist. Baby's belly button is right where it's supposed to be, on baby's stomach. Right where it clearly shows you on the cover of the book. Right? They've been misled. Right? And they are angry, right? If you are to tell a story uh, that is misleading, right? If you are going to make up fables and things that are not true, right? People will sniff it out and they will be disappointed. But we know uh, that Jesus uh, has been raised. And so we are not misrepresenting God when we tell people that Jesus defeated death and was raised to life. Instead, uh, we, the followers of Jesus, are his ambassadors. Uh, We are people who live our lives representing a risen Savior. That means that we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal through us in our neighborhoods and in our relationships and in our schools and in our places of business. God has sent us, you and me, uh, to be his representatives. And we know that our message has been authenticated because Jesus has defeated death and been raised to life. The last right now uh, reality that we see of the resurrection is that it results in our victory. Look at verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if in Christ we, uh, but if in, but if Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, right? So if Christ has not been raised and you claim uh, to know Him or to follow Him, then you have no hope uh, for the future. This life here and now is all you have. There is nothing more. Right? There's nothing more. If Christ has not been raised, we will not be raised. And there is no hope for the future. But Paul is making an argument because uh, Christ has been raised and we, uh, Christians, you and me, we as the people of God, we experience a victory because of Christ. Victory is ours. That doesn't mean that we are oblivious to the reality of life. It doesn't mean that things always go our way. But it does mean that we are a people of hope. We are a people of hope because we have the sure uh, promises of a risen Lord and Savior. We have a future hope. Jesus has secured our victory. He has secured our victory. Uh, Many of you are, did I get an amen? Yes! Yes! Thank you. You're tracking with me. He's going to ask me if I'm almost done. Uh, Many of you are familiar with a wonderful organization called Dream on 3 that Brandon and Elizabeth uh, Lindsay started a number of years ago. They help sports dreams uh, come true for some pretty amazing uh, kids. And a couple months ago, I had the opportunity uh, to meet and spend time with one of those amazing uh, kids. Uh, Dyson is a young man who was diagnosed with leukemia last year. And uh, he recently uh, finished much of his treatment. And at the end of uh, cancer treatment, they have uh, this really cool thing where you can go to the hospital and uh, you can watch as that a boy or girl rings the bell. And it is 
Uh, it is a bell of victory. It is signifying that, hey, like we're, we're crossing the finish line. We uh, have done it. And so a couple months ago, I had an opportunity uh, to come and, or to go and spend some time with Dyson and watch him uh, ring the bell. And so I want you to watch what happens when Dyson uh, rings the victory bell. Watch this. All your prayers, all the finances. We love y'all. We love y'all. Dyson, ring a bell. Ring a bell. Ring it some more. Ring it some more. Ring it some more. Ring it some more. Go ahead, ring it some more. excited for the opportunity to ring the bell that he, he literally ripped it off the wall. And, uh, and I love, I don't know if you heard what his, what his grandfather said after he took the bell from Dyson, he held it up in the air, but he just said, just ring it some more, ring it some more. Dyson's mom, when she sent out an invitation to come to the hospital to uh, see Dyson ring his bell, on her invitation, she s simply said three things. She said, God did it. Dyson is victorious. Let's celebrate. God did it. Dyson is victorious. Let's celebrate. When I sat down with Dyson's mom, I said to her, I was so touched and moved by that because I said, I believe that that encapsulates uh, the gospel message. Right? God did it. God did it. What did he do? He sent his perfect son, Jesus, uh, to walk among us, to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty that rightfully belonged to me and to you. It was placed upon his shoulders. Jesus was buried, but he didn't stay dead. And he was raised to new life and offers a life to you and to me. God did it. God did it, and we are victorious. We are victorious, you and me, the, the people of God, because of the work of God, get to live our lives to celebrate God. We are victorious, so let's celebrate. So this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to do that as a church family. Uh, I asked our ushers, if they would, to come forward, and we are going to distribute bells. And everybody gets a bell. And I'm going to read the Easter story, and when I'm done, we're going to ring the bell together. And just so you know, it is a cowbell. And so, for those of you who are older than 14 years old, you will appreciate that. All right, does everyone have a cowbell? No. 
Okay. We'll wait. I feel like this is kind of the official moment where I gave up control. Right? All right, does everyone have a bell? Wonderful. So kids in particular and some of you adults, um, this is for you. I need you to quietly hold your bell. I want you to quietly hold your bell. I want you to imagine for a moment that uh, you, you walk the dusty streets where Jesus walked. I want you to imagine for a moment that you came into contact with this rabbi, with this teacher. And uh, he had a compelling message. It was a message uh, that you had never heard before. Uh, it was a message of grace. It was a message of hope. And it was a message of life. And you heard this message and you thought to yourself, I am in. I am in. I want what he is giving. I want to follow that man. I think I love that man. I want to listen to his teaching. I want to give my life to him. I will follow him wherever he goes. And I want you to imagine for a moment that you spent uh, your days following Jesus, where Jesus went. But the story of Jesus uh, was, was kind of turned on its head a bit because you saw Jesus as this great, victorious, conquering king. But one day, uh, Jesus was nailed to a cross. One day, Jesus was crucified. One day, you saw and heard people say evil things about Jesus and inflict harm and pain upon Jesus. And you know how the story played out. You knew that Jesus was crucified on that cross, and he was buried. And when you left that day, all of your hopes, all of your hopes left with you. It's as if all the joy and the hope was buried with Jesus in the tomb. But then imagine this. Think for a moment what it was like one day. One day when the Sabbath had passed and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices to the tomb to anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went out to the tomb. And when they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Church, family, he is not here. He is risen. So ring the bell. Ring the bell. And now hold the bell. And I will pray. Father God, we thank you so much for an empty tomb. Lord, we thank you that because of Jesus, uh, we experience victory. And so as a people of God, we come together and we celebrate. We celebrate the life that you have given to us because of Christ. God, if there's anyone here this morning that is not rightly related to you, they 
uh, may be interested in the things of God. They may have wrestled uh, with the things of God, but they don't have a relationship with uh, the true risen Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that, that even now, Lord, that you would stir their hearts and their affections, open their eyes to the beauty of the gospel so that they would experience life and that they would experience the victory that is ours through your Son. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen.